0: I'm Will Beatty. I'm Ben Picari. And we're two graduate students at the University of Notre Dame's Medieval Institute. We're here to chat with students
1: and scholars of the medieval world about what they do and how they came to do it.
0: So who have we got today, Ben?
1: Well, today we're sitting down with Eleonora Chalora, a PhD student at the University of Notre Dame. She is working on liturgical manuscripts and hagiography. She has studied in Italy and
0: France and today she has graced us with her presence. Well, I'm excited. Let's go and meet her in the Middle Ages. So, Eleonora,
1: um, starter question. Okay. When were you first interested in the medieval period in general? When did that start for you?
2: Uh, In general, I think, like, Middle Ages were always, like, in the back of my mind. I remember, like, as a kid reading about King Arthur. And like for me, that was the Middle Ages. Yes. But then of course, when I was an undergrad, I started to like get serious with it and like get interested. And it was mostly through manuscripts that I got interested in Middle Ages. Okay. Like it was not history, it was not literature. It's like dealing with the, the objects uh, that was like the turning point for me.
1: Cool, cool. So where, where did you go to your undergrad?
2: Uh, I studied in Milan at the Catholic University. Uh, yeah.
1: Can you? So you're you're from Milan.
2: I'm from Milan.
1: Okay. Was w- was that like a known thing where you like knew people who had gone there, or was that? Was yeah.
2: So uh, I remember I was considering options, and there were like these two bigs university in my city, mm-hmm. and I remember talking to a couple of people and from both schools, and some of them they told me like this particular school is better, like I was thinking about doing literature mostly, Italian yeah. literature and, uh, and Latin, and this one guy uh, told me like if you go to this one school, uh, you will focus more on uh, modern stuff, mm-hmm. while if you go to this other school, the Catholic University, you will be more focused on Middle Ages and like more older older stuff. So yeah. I chose that because I, I thought that would that was what I wanted, uh, mm-hmm. actually. And it worked out pretty well, I think. Yes, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly.
0: Latin's been a very important part of your research, the ability to use Latin. But a lot of people don't necessarily have uh, access to those sort of the skills, you know, the ability to learn Latin from an early age. Sure. Where were you actually learning Latin? What gave you that sort of facility with the language?
2: Uh, so for sure, being Italian helps. Because <laughs> I mean the language is closer, our language is closer, and we start doing Latin very early compared to other countries. So uh, in high school we have I had five years of Latin. So even okay. if when I uh, started my undergrad, I was not good in Latin at all. Uh, I already had a background. so I started from scratches again, but not really from scratches when like I was taking the first Latin exam uh, as an undergrad. So it's like, a cultural environment, a school, uh, educate, basic education that helps you uh, dealing with the language once you want to get good at it, I think.
0: That's interesting. I wish, I really wish that my school did Latin. We did a year in year six, and that was pretty much it. And then I got all the way through my undergrad and never really touched it. So, yeah, I've always been very envious of those people that can do Latin for that long.
1: I was fortunate enough to have a high school that offered Latin, but I opted not to take it thinking, when would I use Latin? Um, and here I am, you know, like needing needing Latin and having acquired it much later. Um, so So you mentioned in undergrad... There were some courses that exposed you to manuscripts. Do you remember?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tell us about those early experiences. Uh, so, it was the first time that I uh, started l- hearing about manuscripts. It, w- it was not a medieval um, class. It was more like uh, humanism. But then, like what cracked me was basically paleography class, uh, and the professor became my. Supervisor for my undergrad thesis. Mm-hmm. So that was like the beginning of everything for me. Um, yeah, we like, we started dealing with like documents and different handwritings. Of course, just Latin because mm-hmm. uh, we were doing just Latin. Um, and yeah, that was just the beginning. Okay. But it, it's like that specific class that changed. That That's the reason why I'm here.
1: Basically. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what? Uh, manuscripts. Those were of were those liturgical texts. Were they?
2: No, really. Uh, so the first time I dealt with a liturgical manuscript, this was it was for an assignment. So we were going not we were going through handwritings, not really mm-hmm. manuscript, but we were also okay. doing some manuscript studies like codicology and like material features. So, sorry,
1: sorry to interrupt. Could you, for our listeners, sure. explain what codicology is? So
2: it's when you take uh, the manuscript as a book and you describe its features, so dimensions, uh, how many lines per pages, what's the material, what's the cover, uh, if there is decoration, what type of decoration, um, colors. Um, what else? So, so really, Music. really detailed exactly.
0: descriptions of books.
2: Exactly. Or, Old books.
0: Yes. Or pieces of books. Or, or pieces whatever of Whatever we have exactly. left. And what kind of thing do you use that information for?
2: Make, I, I'm not really into like the description of these details. I use them to get an idea uh, of how the object is. So if I see some dimension, I, I know if it's big or small basically so i can say okay like i can hold it in my hands or i need like uh something to support the manuscript a lot mm. of the manuscripts I, I worked with they were huge gigantic uh musical the, b- the manuscript- big ones are
1: fun i think the yeah they are fun, are
2: fun but like to move them not always super fun <laughs> but but yeah so that's one thing and
0: and that kind of tells you about their use right
2: to some extent yes uh and also like if there are uh amazing uh decorations you can Mm. You can think that it, maybe like the it was meant to be a gift for something or uh, for for somebody. Sorry
1: again, sorry, but when you say decoration, um, again for our listeners, w- would that mean something on the cover or inside?
2: I'm most I'm s- mostly thinking about the inside. So yeah. I, I don't know, in a page at the beginning of a text, you have like the first letter, which is decorated. So if we're talking about a particular Uh, event, Mm -hmm. that letter might have a little scene inside the body of the letter, representing some parts of what the text is narrating. Uh, But of course, we can also talk about the decoration of the cover, but Mm -hmm. that's like, um, to some extent, a different field is more like uh, for art people, rather than for manuscript people. Um, Of course, these like fields are all uh, connected, but, uh, when I talk about decoration, I, I thought, I, I I think mostly about the decoration that's, that's that it's in the pages, not yeah. outside.
1: Yeah. So you had this first class, and then you were like I want to do more of this. Um, were you able to like take more classes with that professor or just similar course titles? I'm kind of wondering. Yeah, you had this first experience. How did that develop through your undergrad? Uh
2: so it was the so undergrads under uh, undergrad uh have three years uh in Italy. So I took this class and it was already my third year. So okay. I take I took another class with this professor which was uh medieval literature, sort of like survey of medieval literature, but then I like I was done with the undergrads. <laughs> uh, you're out of time exactly so I didn't have any more opportunities to uh take classes with this uh, specific professor even though like we are uh, we remained in contact for long and she she suggested uh that I go to uh, get a master uh, in another school in another university where uh, traditionally they um they work with manuscripts um music and middle ages um so I went there. Okay. So like, I did. I was not able to take classes in in that university. Yeah. But like, there was a sort of fil rouge that connected me uh, to this other university yes. where I was able to take other classes. I see. Uh, and learn more about manuscripts. I
1: see. In so a different if, way, but. So kind of in your last year of undergrad, you kind of
2: figured it out. Yes. Figured out like yeah.
1: what's next? As we all felt at
0: the end of our undergrad, what do we? What am I
2: doing next? Exactly.
0: Some of us are still waiting for that to come. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the experience like going into a master's? How did it compare to the undergrad life?
2: It was completely different. Uh, So it was a different city, different environment. So the Catholic University is a big university, many different faculties and departments. Uh, Where I studied uh, for the master, it was a very, very small uh, campus um, with like two departments. And the classes were very different. For One one difference was, for example, that uh, we were, instead of being, I don't know, 100, we were 10, yeah. 5, 4, 2, sometimes 3 people in one class. And then also the methodology was different because when you're an undergrad in Italy, you have to read, like, huge books, and you have ordered exams. You don't have written exams. You don't have papers. Uh, and that's more, like, the Italian way of doing it. Uh, while, like, and that like uh, that other university it was more
1: Wh- sorry which university it was, it? was the
2: uh, musicology department at the Pavia University so it's a very very small department connected to this bigger university I see and um,
1: in, in which city was this in Cremona okay
2: so the department of musicology is in Cremona while the like uh, like the university is in, in another city I see um, same area geographical area northern uh, Italy but different cities, um, so so yeah. This the at the at musicology in the musicology department they had a very different approach. So classes were smaller. We did a lot of case studies instead mm-hmm. of like general surveys, and we I started to do papers to write papers uh, to do projects. So that was really really different, uh, and of course there was a like a discrepancy between. Uh, what I have studied as an undergrad, because I was doing mostly literature, language, uh, manuscript studies, like more texts. Mm-hmm. At musicology, I was doing music. Yeah. Studying music, not doing music, but like there was this component that was not new because I I was a musician, mm-hmm. but still different from what I was doing before. So it was a weird, a weird switch. Yes. Yeah. It took me some time to adjust and say, okay, what's the connection between these two words? Like. I'm trusting this person that told me to come here um, because she was my supervisor and like I fell in love with the manuscript because mm-hmm. of her, but I, it took me some time to realize why I was there, if you know yes. what I mean. Because it was like two different words.
0: Are you, uh, absolutely, yeah. I'm wondering if you're still connected to that supervisor as well.
2: Um, I mean, I if I go back home, I would, COVID, with COVID permitting, I would go and visit her for sure. That's cool. Uh, so that's if I cool. need something, uh, I can always send an email.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had these two loves, these, this this music love and this manuscript love. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about it, because a lot of people haven't gotten to see a medieval manuscript, or maybe not even many pictures of them. First manuscripts, and then we'll talk about music. But what what was it about these manuscripts that kind of – Grabbed you in some way,
2: in general. Yeah, manuscripts or musical manuscripts. Um,
1: either one, which whichever.
2: So the the thing for me about manuscripts is that they are objects. So yeah. if you want to think about it, it's like doing archaeology. So you're touching and dealing with stuff that people touched. Yes, it's not like philosophy or like thinking speculation, which is great, but not everybody is for that. Yes. I'm not for that. I don't do philosophy, but touching the same stuff that people was touching. Yes. And and using and that's the thing about liturg- liturgical manuscripts too, tells you something about the people. Yeah. So it's like a different way of doing history to some extent, mm-hmm. or like the tradi- on the other hand is also the traditional way of doing history. So because yeah. it's archaeology, you're just you're not dealing with greek vases or egyptian stuff or mummies <laughs> you have books yes but still it's archaeology so i think that's the thing like the fascinating aspect for me that it's a, an object mm-hmm. something concrete
1: yeah and and then so the the liturgical manuscripts so the the books or the text used in traditionally right masses and other religious yeah. ceremonies um what about those in particular? Was it that music connection?
2: For sure, there is uh, the the music connection. So, sound may be silly, but the way music is written is fascinating. So yeah. the the signs that they were using and to trace how they developed for me it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there is an artistic aspect uh, because that music is like art still. Yes, a different type of art is not uh, the romantic is not Beethoven, but it's still we can still consider it art. Yeah. Even if it was uh, used in a different way to some extent. Um, and liturgical manuscripts, because I up, talked about like the practic- practical aspect of mm-hmm. um, these archeological objects, those liturgical manuscripts are like the quintessential representation of it because they're not always beautiful. Sometimes they are ugly. But they were used, yeah. Like they served a purpose, you know. So that's like they tell you things about the people that. I don't know. Of course, it is only part. This is only partially true because at the same time, it's not that everybody could use those manuscripts. They were used yeah. by like the people, the clergy, or like whomever had access to them. It's not that like the, I don't know, the person working working in the fields was going to like the church and take- walk up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, touch it. But Still, they are, I don't know, uh, something else uh, than literature. Yeah. They have a different purpose, and I think that that's the most fascinating aspect for me. Even though sometimes they do contain literature, like pieces of literature, and the music is art, so they are like, I don't know, uh, like they gather a lot of elements. Yeah. together that tells you about a specific place a specific society a specific community Um. yeah and
1: even if the person in the fields didn't pick up that book and read it they were being led exposed
2: to it Mm -hmm, they were
1: listening and hearing and perhaps joining right and so they did participate in the the work of
0: that text
2: exactly exactly
0: which is cool and what kind of stuff do you get in these texts where which show how they're being used? I mean, clearly these are texts being used by sort of, in a sense, the leaders of whatever service yeah. it would be. Are you getting things like marginal notes saying, yeah. oh yeah, got to do this differently next time, or you know, add a bit here, subtract a bit there?
2: Not like that, but for example, if you Drums have, come in the, here. Exactly. No, not exactly like that, but for example, you have a, a book that you're using. At some point, they introduce a new feast. Like a new saint. So you want to celebrate the saint because it's like a new important saint for that specific little church. What do you do? You add like some leaves with the text for the new saint. So it's like you, you find stuff like that. Put like some
1: pages p- in the middle.
2: Exactly. So they, they, there, there are interventions on uh, on the manuscript. Not all of them, clearly. Or at some point, the uh, uh, something happened with the music. So they said, okay, we cannot... Do the chants like this anymore? So, you you have like pieces of paper that covers the melismas. So, they like, um, the what the melismas. So, the um, like melodic, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain this in a good way. Let me No, 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 it's fine. um, so you don't have you, chants are like work, words, and and music, mm-hmm. but you have sometimes like one syllable and a bunch of notes. Above it. So like a bunch of them, like lines of notes without on one syllable. So basically you don't have text, and those are the melismas. I see. And like I remember I was working with this manuscript manuscript, uh, in Milan, and there were these pieces of paper covering portions of the melisma because they didn't want them anymore. I mean, no, it's more complicated than that. But Were
1: they replacing them with different music or just deleting
2: them? Deleting them in that specific case.
1: Yeah, in that case. Yeah. That is cool. So okay. So you mentioned that you are a musician, and that you love music. Can you talk more about what what instrument or plural?
2: Oh no, just one. So I I um, I used to play the piano. I'm mm-hmm. not a musician. Uh, I was, so I just went to music school, got my degree, and then just went to music school.
0: Just got the, just <laughs> got the degree. <laughs> just, you and know, then and then like I just decided. Did.
2: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of, more of kids do it. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I didn't know. I'm impressed.
2: And <laughs> Yeah, so then I, like, I got my degree, I think, the first year of undergrad. So I had, like, one year where I was, like, choosing what I wanted. And mm-hmm. I, then I said, like, I'm probably better for academia or, like, I, I probably I didn't say that, but, like, I felt that I was not really a musician. I was more, like, I should go with grad school and, like, that direction was my direction, so. I see. But that's cool because, like, you have, like, you're educated in another world. Like, I was playing the piano, so I was not doing Gregorian chant. Mm-hmm. So I had a sensitivity for another type of music and art. And then, yeah, my career is completely different. It's doing, I'm doing something else, but still. But music's I, still there. Exactly. So yeah. it's not completely com- clear how they are connected, but they are.
1: They are. No, they are. That's really cool. So how, how long was that program, uh, your master's?
2: Uh, musicology mm-hmm. it was two years
1: okay yeah so that two years starts to come to a close what do you you know like how 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 are you feeling at that
2: point? oh really bad it was <laughs> terrible so of course i was like thinking should i get a phd and i didn't want to so i started to work why not because <laughs> why i, I think it? because i i didn't i didn't want to get a phd in italy hmm. and i didn't know where else to um to look for like position, uh, I didn't know like scholars enough. Like I didn't have contact. I didn't didn't have any network. And also probably I, I needed to take some time um, mm-hmm. to think what I really wanted to do. So I just started working, and then at, at some point, um, I received like a text or an email saying, "Do uh, you want to come here and work for us?" And was like, and that was um, in Paris, mm-hmm. and. So I left my job and I was like, sure, I'm coming. And then, and after that, I started seriously thinking about the PhD. Uh,
1: so what was this job in Paris?
2: So uh, it was um, a research job. Before I, uh, I graduated for DMA, uh, from DMA, I um, had an internship in this uh, research institute in Paris for like three months. Okay. Then I went back home and graduated, uh, but then there was a position opened in this same place, and they asked me if I wanted that position uh, for that like, uh, job as a researcher, like associate researchers mm-hmm. in, in uh, this uh, institute, so I went there. So it was like, first time I was an intern, second time it was like a real job, mm-hmm. and so I went back to research to some extent, and I, I thought, why not? Yeah, and I stayed there for that project, another project, and then I was.
1: What were the projects you were researching?
2: So the first one was about uh, like the bestsellers of the Middle Ages. So this oh. institute um, has a lot of databases that collect gathers a lot of data on like different topics. So this particular project was about um, collecting basic information, bibliography, manuscript, and blah 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 about like the. Most read books in the Middle Ages. Uh, so I would just like c- collect information, reading a lot of papers, uh, deciding what data to put in the database. Very useful. Um, if you're doing research, that's a good like resource, a mm-hmm. good tool to use because you get like the yeah the basic information you need to start. Um,
0: it sort of gives a pretty like broad strokes kind of view. Of yeah. you know, the way that manuscripts are being used, what's interesting to people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you can tell like with that project, you can tell like what did people read Ugh. or like to read uh in the Middle Ages.
0: And so th- that project then is coming to a close. When did you decide that you would pursue a PhD? And how come you went how did you end up in Notre Dame?
2: Um so I don't remember when I decided exactly that I wanted to uh, to apply for PhDs. Probably it was like a combination of elements, um, but I I I applied basically just uh, for US. So that that was one thing. Um, How come? Because I had a f- I I think I was curious about something that was very distant from uh, my education, my way of thinking. I felt I probably I felt the need to do research in a different way. Um, So I love the way people work in Italy. I think that there is like, there are some amazing things going on. But to some extent, probably I felt that I wanted to have another perspective. And that's the reason why I did not apply or ever thought about uh, doing a PhD in Italy. Um, In Notre Dame, I mean, there are not many Not that many medieval institutes in general. Yes. Um, And for liturgy and manuscripts, this is like one of the best places. So um, it was like, um, I mean, I was like, of course I'm applying there. And then I got in. But I mean, you don't go after the names. You go after the schools. So so I... Yes. So I I know that there are like amazing universities in the U.S. But I wanted to... I was looking for something very specific, and this was Mm -hmm. one of the right places. So that's the reason why.
1: How was, as, as someone who is only fluent in this language, English, though I research in multiple languages, I don't have to write papers and attend lectures in other languages, how was the switching from first Italian to French, and then moving from Paris to here, French to English, how were
2: those transitions. So they were two different uh, things. Um, moving to Paris, I didn't know one single word in French. So I was not, like it was not exactly <laughs> the best, but I could work <laughs> because I, I, can, I could read something, I don't know how, but I could still do research and collect the data that I, <laughs> that I needed to collect. But it was not. <laughs> that's, a, that's wild
1: to me, oh, I did uh, not know.
2: Well, I did not know like one single word in French. Well, bonjour bonjour yeah maybe bonjour but not maybe maybe not no more than that but um, i was still able to work and my boss wow uh, who is laura albiero the co-editor of the book uh she's italian so it was fantastic okay. it, it was doable you know so the database and like the word the job was in french but my boss was in, was Italian, and a lot of the people around me, they were very nice, they were speaking French very slowly. They would help me with my, like learning the language of a like, few words per day. Uh, they would allow me to speak Italian because they are scholars, so they, un- they understand Italian, so we could understand each other, and slowly I learned some, like after a couple of years, I was able to speak some decent, I hope, French. <laughs> so that was that. Uh, coming here, it, it's a completely different um, like um, environment. Uh, so I'm, I'm in grad school. I was attending classes. <laughs> um, of course, I did study English, uh, so I was a little bit more prepared. Um, but it, w- if I have to be honest, like I remember the first classes, taking notes in English, it was terrible. I, yeah. I was like slow. I could not understand what the professors were saying took me a few weeks to like and also to accept like to, to to be able to follow to be able to interact in a proper way or or at least to feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to interact because how, part of the problem is that you don't feel confident about your language and after a while you still you are still not enough not good enough but it doesn't matter at least this is what happened in my mind. Like, after a while, I was like, okay, my English... I'm not a native speaker. My English has problems. Uh, but you get used to, like, phrases. You get used to the way people think. And you get used to the fact that you are, like... It's okay if you're not good enough. It's its okay.
1: You're more than good enough. But I... Yes. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. That's two huge transitions. I did not know that you didn't know French when you moved to Paris. That blows my mind. The, yeah. So, so you mentioned um, your your former boss, uh, and you uh, had a big recent project. Yeah. So you're you're here. You're doing your PhD, and then how did this project uh, come about in the midst of this?
2: Oh, so uh, when I was an intern in Paris, uh, I was working uh, for like uh, Laura's project, La- Laura's database. Um, we this database was about liturgical manuscripts the other project i worked for they were not exactly about the ma- the things that i love and study but this particular project it was about like my my things yeah uh so we basically like we met like almost every week to she needed to check like how i was doing um and like if i had problems we sh- we would discuss them and basically we started to have discussion on like how to talk about manuscripts, this type of manuscript. What problems are there? Uh, how do we call them? How do we share information with people? How do we teach people mm. how to work with this type of stuff? Because there are very few people interested in liturgical manuscript, uh, and very few people able to work with them. So slowly, after man- weeks and after weeks, um, even when like the internship was, was done and I was back home and I was wo- or I was working for another project, we kept talking and discussing, reading uh, articles together. And basically like that, at some point, I remember she organized a conference and we presented the project. Uh, and she was like, we should write a book. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then, yeah, and then we started. We started to conceive the structure, what we wanted to say, what, what were the questions we were trying to answer, basically. Um, and, yeah. So it, it it was, like, two years, and then it happened. <laughs> I mean, the decision happened.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, so even getting to that decision took about two years of,
2: of yeah.
0: work before that.
2: Yeah, because, like, since the book, uh, to some extent, the book is a, uh, is a, a, an attempt to answer questions that we had. Mm. So we studied to prepare that book. We like it's not that we knew already what to write. Yeah. In, like most cases, of course we we did know what we wanted, but to write I to write some passages, some parts of it. I remember I was studying. I was like going through multiple manuscripts, saying, "Okay, how does this work? I think it works like that, but let's verify it."
1: What were some of those questions that you were?
2: Like um, very one very basic questions there are some type of manuscripts that I like people are not sure how they work, like what's okay. site what's their use so you open some of them uh, as many as you can and you try f- to figure out what if there is a structure if there if you can figure out the the, the use of them and the reason why they are made that way uh, what traditions they transmit, what type of chants, what type of text, how they are connected, um, how they circulated, uh, where they were written, why they were written in that specific place, where they written for another place, for another institution, for a specific guy, stuff like that.
0: <laughs> and this is an edited volume, right? So you've got, am I right in thinking you've got art- articles or chapters from contributing scholars yeah. as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have one part that is uh, essays from scholars. We wanted to give a, like, a sample of uh, what people are working on now. What are their thoughts about like, methodological problems or uh, what type of manuscripts they are studying? And then the second part, uh, which is the part that we wrote, like in these essays, there is also one, of, uh, one essay that we wrote. But the, like, the bigger work, the biggest work for us was to write a sort of uh, guide on how to describe medieval manuscripts. So it's like a manual. So it's, and like that's the part that we really wrote. So the the idea was let's create a tool Mm -hmm. with which people can understand and approach manuscripts, liturgical manuscripts, without being scared.
0: That sounds very helpful. It sounds really helpful. sounds like it's something I need to be reading for my research. It's all in Italian, isn't it?
2: No, it's all in French. Oh, great. (laughs)
1: okay so how, what was the decision to write and publish in French
2: so we were in France once we start when we started mm-hmm. so we were already like at that point we were uh, presenting in French. got it interacting in French in the, the people that accepted the book they are French speakers mostly yes. they, they asked us not to write in Italian only and we were like sure of course um, We didn't think, actually, about writing in English. Uh, I, I, like, recently, in the last weeks, I was, a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people asked me, why in French? Mm -hmm. Couldn't you uh, write it in English? It was like, I didn't even think about it because I was in France at that
1: time. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: And French is, like, a very common language among scholars, so we we didn't have any, we didn't think about that. (laughs) But I understand, like, for Italians, it's probably easier, I don't know. So it sounds different, but it's the same.
0: Yeah, that's that's the excuse I'll use. French just sounds too different to English. <laughs> it even does, though, though. even though I've been learning it since I was five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, w- when you're working on this, I, I guess to kind of try to demystify a little bit of it. When you have a big project like mm-hmm. this, what would a typical day look like working on this project?
2: So. Uh, it's a little hard to answer because I was, um, to some extent, this was a side project. Yes. So I was not that. That was not like my main activity mm-hmm. during the days. So I remember using weekends for that uh, breaks. I remember one winter break. I think it was the first winter break uh, from Notre Dame, and me and Laura we were like on a Zoom call or Skype call for hours. <laughs> every day during like Christmas break, talking about what to write. Uh, yes. what having a look at digitized manuscripts together, uh, trying to make sense of them. Um, so I think I mostly use breaks or probably I devoted like some a few hours every week. Um, so I was like, let's get do- get it done with uh, my job, so grad school, for example. Mm-hmm. and then let's save some space for, for the book. Got it. So, wow. I got. There were some moments where I was really stressed because, like, there were m- maybe like yes. one month or like weeks where I we couldn't work because yeah. Laura Laura was doing the same, and we were like, "Will we ever finish it?" <laughs> yeah. So that was a little stressful, but yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I, I commend your 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 passion and your uh, your work ethic to commit breaks and weekends to a different academic endeavor
2: i mean i get bored so (laughs) it's a good way to entertainment i'm kidding
0: (laughs) but i mean it's an amazing achievement it really is so um you mentioned there as well about digitized manuscripts and the fact you had to kind of pour over these over the break so do you find that there are Advantages and disadvantages to using digitized versions. I mean, do you feel like it's a different experience looking at a manuscript as a picture online as opposed to you know physically handling it?
2: Of course, it's a completely different experience. But I am very grateful for whatever is online now, uh, mm-hmm. especially like with the pandemic and like being in US instead of like Italy or or France. I like I don't have access to the manuscripts I need to uh, study. So whatever is online is like a great gift. Um, yes. And I wish it could could be more stuff on, online, honestly. Uh, of course it's different. Like I think you, you should start like when, for example, if we're thinking about people approaching manuscript for the first time, you should start uh, in a library. So you see like a bunch of manuscripts. Uh, you get used to like touching the manuscript, uh, like feeling like the, the, pap- the, the parchment or the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, reading it through, uh, and then after you have done that, uh, you can go to the digitized manuscripts and also learn something about their material aspect uh, because you recognize features that you already saw in the library, mm. if it makes sense. Yeah. So I think that digitized manuscripts are a great resource, especially when you don't have access to manuscripts, but of course you need to see the actual manuscripts because, like again, they're objects, Yeah. so they have, a material dimension you cannot not take that into account of course but if i want to read a text now i'm like looking for specific texts texts for a saint the manuscript if the manuscript is digitized that's great Mm. and then i will take a look at the manuscript when i can go to the library but in the meanwhile i can work on the text yes so both things yeah i think
0: did you ever get that question which i have got quite a few times of you came from medieval from Europe to America to study medieval Europe. What were you thinking?
2: <laughs> All the time, especially from Italians and Europeans. <laughs> Americans, like in, people in the U.S., they don't ask it. No. But Italians are like, We're well, like, why? of course.
1: <laughs> that makes sense. Come here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I got that question a lot. Well, one thing is that, again, I came here because I needed something different. I needed different questions. And... I found like a different way to approach manuscripts and to approach research. And I'm I am asking different questions to my sources. So my dissertation will not look like a dissertation that I would I could have written in Italy or France.
1: What are some of those differences?
2: Um for for me, for example, is like um I have developed more attention to the text and they're like uh, layers of meaning. So I I'm reading a lot of uh, material on some saints, mm-hmm. and before coming here, I was not able to read the text for real, to uh, to read like a passage and say, okay, what are they saying, uh, and then read the chant connected to this text and say, okay, the chant is saying these things, the text is saying these other things. How are they like connected? What's why are they saying these specific things in the chants and why are they saying these specific things in the text? So, like, what's the purpose to some mm-hmm. extent? What's the meaning? Um, before coming here, I was not able to ask this question. It's very simple, but still, it's uh, for me, it makes the whole difference. So, I was like very technically skilled before coming here mm-hmm. already, but I was not able to reflect hmm. on texts if it makes sense.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, is it just something about the atmosphere, the way that seminars are conducted here that brought that change in your thinking?
2: For sure, but also seeing how other people that are uh, technically skilled are also able to be, uh, to narrate like about the things that they read. So it's like both like, how the grad school is organized, but also how the people work, like the scholars work here. So my supervisor, she's able to like take her the text in her hands and like take the like understand the meaning.
1: Mm.
2: You know, so when you see people working this way, you learn. If it makes sense again. No, that
1: does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it
0: absolutely does.
1: Um, One question I have uh, as we're wrapping up is uh, what advice do you have maybe for uh, students currently doing a humanities undergrad or people that are thinking about pursuing humanities uh, education at the graduate school level? Uh, As someone who's kind of walked through some of those roads, do you have any advice or
2: Mm, I don't know, like just if you love something in the humanities, just do it. Uh, first, <laughs> because a lot of people, they don't do it because they are like, oh, work, uh, what do I do after? Yeah. Uh, at least back home, this is a big, big problem. So first thing, no, no, like, no, if that's you that's love really something, like, yeah. do it. Uh, this saved me, actually. Mm. Um, second thing, just choose one thing that you like, follow it, and then you will figure out that it's not exactly what you're gonna do, but that's like a starting point. So, so have at least one idea in your mind. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like manuscripts. And then like I would probably like my dissertation would be like on manuscript, but very different. And then another advi- more practical advice, study languages. So decide what mm-hmm. part of the war you wanna focus and then study the languages that you need because that is very, very useful. So if you wanna do Greek, do Greek. If you want to do Latin, do Latin, but just do it as early as possible. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah,
1: that's it. And if apparently you didn't learn a language, you can just move to the capital (laughs) of a country where it's spoken and,
2: you know, you pick it up. (laughs) More or less like that.
0: (laughs) So unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. LA, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. How can our listeners find out more about you and your work?
2: Uh so you can find information about me on the Medieval Institute uh webpage or on Academia. Uh I'm on Facebook even though I don't use it that <laughs> much. And yeah, l- so that if you want to take a look at my book, uh it's called The Cr le Manuscrit Liturgique, uh edited by Brepels. Um you can find it on the Breppels website too. And um, that's it. That-
1: Thanks. I'm again. really grateful
2: to oh had the chance to talk with you guys.
1: Oh, we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you'll meet with us next time in the Middle Ages.
0: Meeting in the Middle Ages is sponsored by the Medieval Institute of the University of Notre Dame with a generous grant from the Medieval Academy of America. If you have any questions for a medievalist, send them to us at meetinginthema at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at meetinginthema and Instagram at meetinginthemiddleages. For more information on some of the topics raised in this episode, head on over to the episode description. Thanks for listening.